Welcome. This is EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Good morning, everyone. I'm your host, Jill Economo, Director of Community Outreach at Ellen Becker Investment Group. How many of you remember two big hits of the 80s about dreams? Hey, I was a teenager in the early 80s. What can I say? But one was Carly Simon and the other one was by Van Halen. Whether Carly sang about your heart and soul's desire or Sammy Hagar sang about reaching higher and higher, the theme is that you've got to be strong and you've got to go for what you believe in because that's what dreams are made of, right? What did you dream of being or doing when you were a kid? A famous musician or an artist? Maybe starting your own business or just becoming a millionaire? Did you ever dream of changing the world? Harriet Tubman once said that every great dream begins with a dreamer. Always remember you have within you the strength, the patience, and the passion to reach for the stars to change the world. So it starts with an idea, a dream, a goal, right? And then you add passion and purpose and you're well on your way. I once heard a quote that talked about the 10 most inspirational two-letter words are, if it is to be, it is up to me. So our first guest today, they had big dreams of changing the world, and they have quite a story to share, too. So I'd like to welcome to the show today Dawn and Victor Barnett. Victor is the founder of the Running Rebels Community Organization. How are you guys doing this morning? Doing well. We're doing great. Thank you so much for having us here, and we're just appreciative to have the opportunity to share our message. Well, we hear a lot about the Running Rebels, so we're excited to, to hear all about it. Um, Victor, you were 19 years old when you started Running Rebels. What was your motivation? Well, I'm uh, originally from a small town in Mississippi, uh, Hattiesburg, Mississippi. I'm very proud of it. Down where Brett Favre lives now, so we're really proud of hey. that territory. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so as a young kid growing up, I um, had a really good upbringing from my community as well as my family, but I remember as a kid walking around a lot, spending time thinking, and I just was saying how I wanted to help change the world. I wanted to help make the better the world a better place. And um, yeah, that's where my dream started. And that's where the what I wanted to do actually began. And um, I was about sixth grade. Wow. <laughs> Talk about starting young, right? You're never too young to start working on your dream, right? That's correct, uh, yes. Well, what need were you trying to fill? You know, when you had this dream, you know, what what, what were you thinking? Yeah, it's, it's a, a big history of trying to help change the world and help make the world a better place. And uh, my family relocated to Milwaukee. Um, I was a young person that wanted to change the world but didn't know how. And as I was growing up in middle school, I noticed a lot of friends of mine and people close to me were being uh, removed from my life. And at that time, it kind of hit me of what I wanted to do was to help make things better for young people to not be taken away from their family or their friends. Um, so that was my effort to say, I'm going to start a program. I'm going to be involved in something that keep young people from being taken away from their loved ones. And that would help begin uh, that changing of, you know, my, my dream becoming true. So what tools then did you use to try and reach the youth? Everything with me was based upon relationships. Um, started in like I was a kid and growing up and everybody cared about me. They were in my corner for whatever I needed. Um, so it was just becoming connected to them and 
close to them like a big brother. And it's the word mentoring today, but at that time, I just wanted to connect uh, to young people to help keep them out of trouble and, and make better decisions in life. What a wonderful goal. And I understand you're affecting quite a few uh, of the youth. And we've talked before about how important mentors are yes. uh, for everyone, but especially for, for youth who may not have someone to walk alongside them. So that's that's wonderful. So how many uh, young kids do did you work with and what kind of support did you provide? Well, when I first started in 1980, there was a neighborhood park uh, where I would go there and be able to connect with the young people there. And we didn't know who we were going to be. And, you know, it became evident that they loved basketball, hence became the Running Rebels basketball team. And that first year, uh, 1980, I had 50 young men that came to the park. And I said, I'm going to keep them out of trouble. I'm going to connect to them. I'm going to mentor them. I'm going to become that big brother to them. So that following year, they told their friends. And the next thing you know, uh, there was 100 young people there. Um, so I said, I'm going to use basketball as a tool to help me connect to these young people and help them make a better choice in life. So 40 years of doing that, I think that first 10 years, um, I worked with probably 100 people, uh, young people per year. Um, and then after that, the doors and the avenues started to open up for the organization so that we could receive funding. Because prior to that, it was just, like I said, my dream to make a difference in society, take in young people, do what I can do to be their big brother. and just do it out of the care and concern that I had for my community. And I think it's particularly interesting that you were only 19 years old. Yeah, they say I got an early start. <laughs> <laughs> so you were, you were influencing 50 to 100 young kids at just 19 years old. Right, because I felt like I had what they needed and wanted. They wanted something to care about and connect to and a lot of young people love basketball at that time. So I think it's important that when you talk about young people, what is their passion? What's that drive in their life that you can connect to and just be of assistance to them to be happy in life and to be able to head in a successful direction? Absolutely. And that's why I loved the reference to dreams, the song about dreams. And I'm sure that there are more relevant songs about dreams now for our young kids. But hey, I had an 80s reference that just you know, shows my age, I guess. But um, so that's that's it's wonderful. And again, I think it tells our young kids that you're never too young to try something right. You know, you have a dream. If you have a passion for that to make a difference like you have. Um, you can really make a big dent in other you can help, Yeah, you can help dreams come true because our young people, a lot of times they have these thoughts, these wants, and then the next thing out of their life, out of their mind is, I can't do it because of the obstacles that they have in life. So being able to, uh, at times, let young people know that, hey, I'm living my dream every day. I'm a person that stand in front of you that can say, my dream came true. And that inspires other young people to talk about it and want more and be able to strive for those things in life and eventually uh, accomplish what their dreams are. Yeah, for sure. That's just so awesome. Um, well, don't you expose them to different things like camping and other things besides basketball? Oh, yeah, most definitely. Everything with Running Rebels is a holistic approach. Uh, when I first started in 1980, basketball was that magnet. It was that draw. What do you do? And we used to make a joke that if we yelled out, everybody come over here, we're going to give you some daily living skills and help you better understand life and make the right choices and build your character. 
you might not have too many young people. But when you say, let's go play basketball or let's go in the music studio or let's yeah. do these fun things, now you get them to want to be with you. And now you can kind of help show them and actually walk them through the steps to be successful in life. Because when we start with a young person at 10, 11 years old, it's a great pride to see them when they graduate from high school and get ready to go to college. Absolutely. I bet it is. So did you have any funding when you got started or how did you get the support to work yeah. with these kids? Yeah, I think when I first started, and that's why a lot of times I talk to people and, and want to make sure that it's in their heart. I, I just wanted to make a difference. Um, so those first 15 years, I just showed up at the park. And like I said, I just find out what can I do in the summer with these hundred young people that will lead to them uh, doing well in high school, staying out of trouble and headed in the right direction. So for 15 years, I just did the work. Uh, I had a great reputation within the community. Uh, young people all knew about the Running Rebels basketball program at that time. And uh, it just kind of started to open some doors and avenues eventually uh, from the good work that I think I was able to do by connecting with so many young people. Um, so I got an opportunity to um, showcase those type of skills and it opened up doors and avenues for us. So it all started with shooting hoops in a park. Yep. That's, yep. that's awesome. Well, in the mid-90s, something changed for you and the organization. Uh, what happened? Well, you're just going to have to stay tuned to find out. We'll be back after this commercial break. Thanks for tuning in. This is EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Welcome back to Milwaukee's Philanthropic Community. I'm talking today with Dawn and Victor Barnett, founders of The Running Rebels. So in the mid-1990s, something changed for Running Rebels, and, and you know we don't want you to keep us in suspense any longer. So tell us what happened. Well, from the good work, uh, doors and avenues begin to become open to allow me to do more. My first field trip was to take the young people down to the neighborhood radio station and tour the station and they were overjoyed. So to be able to do more and get transportation and just do uh, get additional staff, the work was finally recognized and then uh, received some funding. And that's when I came into the picture. Okay, enter Dawn <laughs> to the scene, okay. So in the, uh, in the, in the mid 1990s, Victor was doing groups, so he was talking with some young people who were involved in the juvenile justice system, you know, just encouraging them, you know, how to get past their current situation and be hopeful and just make, you know, go down a different path. A couple of therapists saw the work that he was doing and learned more about this young man who was connecting with all these young people and mentoring them. They didn't really use the term mentoring back then. He was more like a big brother. He was being a big okay. brother. But it was having a positive role model in your life. And how do you take that concept and how do you scale it to where as many people, young people who need it have access to a positive person in their life. And we may think, well, doesn't everybody have that person, you know, that, that guide or that mentor or that, that figure that helps them helps process life with them? And the answer is not necessarily. So the need was absolutely there to, to pair young people with somebody positive in their lives. So they really helped, helped form the initial infrastructure for us to become an actual organization. Up until that time, Victor was volunteering 
all of the people who were, you know, helping coach and, and helping on field trips, all volunteers. Uh, but how do you take it and solidify it and grow it and build that capacity to where we can we can expand our reach? So that happened in the in the mid 1990s and started. I, I came on the scene when Victor in one of his mentors, they were training at the Atkinson Library. They were training community members to be those mentors. Okay. So, so the idea wasn't that we're going to bring in, you know, high level professionals who would come in um, or people from outside of the community, but utilize people from this immediate community, you know, to, to make a change with the young people in their community. And doing that by training, training new mentors and volunteers. So that's when I came on the scene. Aha, uh -huh. wonderful. Well, well, there's more to that story, but, <laughs> but I guess we won't get into that. That might be for another show, right? But we'll focus on uh, the organization. So how was your EPIC mission statement created? You have this EPIC mission statement. So how did you get to that? Well, you know, so as we, as we, as we grew, so when I first came on, we didn't have a building, we didn't, um, we didn't have much of a staff, but, but we actually helped grow to where in 1998, we received our first funding to work with first time juvenile offenders. So that was our entryway into the juvenile justice system formally. And I think what appealed to Milwaukee County was here was this grassroots organization, very grassroots, who were able to not just help the kids get their, fulfill their community service obligations, but they were, they were mentoring and, and impacting the youth in such a way that they were not reoffending. And they were connecting to their community in a healthy way. So that work continued to grow. So what started off with first time juvenile offenders we then started wor working with serious chronic offenders and then young people who were starting to engage in things with firearms. So, so it continued to grow and our staff continued to grow as we had success, you know, taking young people and having them choose a different path. And we did that by saying, you know what, we're not going to give up on a young person just because you made a mistake in your life at, at this young age does not mean um, that you can't choose differently. It does not mean that you can't have something better. Uh, we were working with a young person who was facing 20 years as a juvenile and he was, he was robbing and doing some things he wasn't supposed to. He had family members who were, you know, who were involved, involved in that street life. And he was, he was, he came to our program and at the end of the program, he ended up graduating from Tuskegee and earning an engineering degree. Oh, fabulous. So you go from facing time yeah. to making major changes in your life. And, and let me tell you, it was not easy. It took time. It took mentors who poured everything that they had into this young man. It took exposing him to things he's never been exposed to before, the college life, going, going with his mentor onto a, a campus and actually being able to visualize for himself that, wow, wait a minute, this is a path that actually I can take. This is something that I can do. Yeah. And, and, and that's what it was all about, is, is connecting with young people in a way that, that made them feel like I can do this and there are avenues that I can take. Because sometimes you just don't know what all of your choices and all of your options are 
um, until until somebody helps 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 you see that helps unpack. Exactly. Yeah, and it's it's uh, many times the things that are worthwhile are not easy. They're you not. know, and to help our our kids understand that that not everything's going to be easy peasy, but it could be very well worth it. You know, exactly. very well worth all the hard work and what you went through to get to the you know, to, to this, the point of success, but, exactly. um, and, and when you asked about our epic mission statement, you know, so we had the basketball and we had the, the work with the juvenile youth and the juvenile justice system, and we had recreation programming after school and summer programming, um, in school mentoring programs, you know, so over the course of those next years, we just continued to blossom and grow with that same philosophy of mentoring was at our core. So it was, it, it became difficult telling our story in a way that people could understand because they'd get confused. Wait a minute, you do, you do so much. Let me, let me wrap our heads around this. So you, you do basketball, you work with youth in the juvenile justice system, you have after school programs and you do tutoring. So we said, you know what, how can we tell our story in a way that's digestible to people? How can our mission statement speak to the work that we actually do? So that's where our epic mission statement came from. Um, and our epic mission statement was um, engaging. We engaged the community and the, and the youth and, the, and families in the community. Uh, the P is for prevents or prevention. And we prevent youth from involvement in gangs, from engaging in risky behaviors, things that will lead them down the wrong path. That's for prevention. And I is for intervention. You know, when young people do make mistakes, we intervene, we, we guide them to, to to say, look, this is not, this how I'm acting right now, the things that I'm doing is not gonna get me to where I need to be in life. What do I need to do differently? And we help, we help guide them down a different path. And then the, the uh, C part is for coaching them through transition. At first it was gonna be T for transition, but EPIT did not sound cute, just didn't. <laughs> so we changed it to coaching them through their transition into adulthood because because what we want to do is make sure that we're not just there for them uh, as a teenager and then they turn 18 and it's good luck in life right right no it, it has to be about okay what's next how can i successfully you know take all these things and now you know be successful in that transition to adulthood because at 18 i don't know about you but not many people are like okay now i'm just ready to face the world right right and to have a mentor available to you to walk through uh, the various challenges in life to continually walk through with you. That's, that's wonderful. That's congratulations. Cause that really is awesome. And it's like us bringing the light at the end of the tunnel closer to these young people so they can see it because a lot of times they're making bad choices and things because they just don't understand life. And that's what that mentor and role model is there for. Hmm. Well, there have been some, some key taglines or phrases that you've spoken uh, that has spoken to some of the key values of your organization. You want to share some of those with us quickly? Yeah, I think we've always been really deep on meaning and trying to get young people to understand the word power behind those words. So when we first started, community unity was big. When I was 19, I was so excited about working together with everybody and let's unify and be one a big happy family and help save our city. Um, didn't happen the way that I wanted it to, um, but really after that, years later, uh, bridging the gap became important to us because we wanted to bring the older and younger generation together. Uh, full circle became important to us because a young person go through running rebels and 
receive what we have to give them and then they come back and help us with the next generation of young people and then lastly we have helping the community from within because we know how important it is to not bring people in to tell the community what to do it's to work with people from and of that community to be able to empower them to be able to make a difference in their community so we've been driven by and i just feel like those are some of the things that help make the direction of the organization. It makes the core of the organization. So the dream becoming true was to be a part of something that was becoming that connected to our younger generation and then being able to connect that to the older generation. And now we'll be able to make a difference in our city. Wow. I mean, if you uh, make those hashtags, you got to put those on the end of all of your posts, right? <laughs> you know, your Facebook post, hashtag community unity or hashtag bridging the gap. <laughs> So as you look back 40 years, as you, you look back, you guys have been around for 40 plus years. What, what would you say you're most proud of? Well, I'm very proud to be a part of the organization that has put in the, the work in the community, formed the relationship with, from within, and being in a position that we can connect with others and really make a difference. Because what we need to do is kind of laid out now, and I'm just excited to be a part of uh, being able to connect with others and, and, and have Milwaukee be the beautiful city that it should be, share that with others in other cities, and then we can turn turn everything around and then change the world eventually. Well, you should be proud because you guys have made uh, made your mark and you continue to do that. So that's wonderful. Thank so you. how can the listeners, okay, so let's say there's somebody listening saying, I want to either be a part of Running Rebels or uh, maybe they have a child uh, or a, a, um, somebody they know that they would like to have join the Running Rebels organization in some way. Um, how can they do that? Or how, how can we um, often have either volunteer opportunities or we may have needs that the organization has um, or we have things that are that are happening within the organization that we want people to be a part of encourage everybody to go to our website runningrebels.org runningrebels.org and on there we have a ways to help tab which which you can go on there and see if there's volunteer opportunities or other ways to support the work that we do but I think it's big to help spread the work of the word, the work that we do, because a lot of people don't know of the work. And I just think sometimes when people tell somebody else about the good work, uh, then now when they hear of us later, they're like, oh, yeah, I've heard of them. So I just think a lot of help for us is helping to spread the word of the good work Running Rebels is doing in our community. Well, and I will tell you that uh, we've been doing this show now for, um, you know, since January 2018. And. Uh, your name has come up a number of times because this show is all about highlighting the wonderful work that nonprofits do in our community and uh, Running Rebels has been on our list. So I thank you both, Dawn and Victor, for joining us today and uh, for doing what you do and making an impact, using your passion, turning that into a purpose that really makes a difference. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you, Jill. It's, it's been an honor and a pleasure and we appreciate it. You are welcome. Well, we talk about the importance of collaboration, especially when you're dealing with limited resources. Not one nonprofit can be everything to everyone. So stick around to hear from a nonprofit organization that works closely with Running Rebels to provide a very important basic need every day to those who would otherwise go without. We'll be back in a moment. 
You're listening to EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Welcome back to Milwaukee's philanthropic community. I'm your host, Jill Economo. And my next guest today is another passionate person who wants to make a big difference starting right here in Milwaukee. Lynn Hildenbrand is the executive director of The Gathering, whose mission is to feed those that would normally go without. Welcome to the show today, Lynn. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You are welcome. Can you start by sharing the story behind how The Gathering began? Well, I sure can. Back in 1981, there was three gentlemen that were walking down Wisconsin Avenue having a conversation. There was a lawyer, an accountant, and a priest, and they came upon a man who appeared to be homeless and kind of looking down and out, and they asked him if there was anything that they could do for him. And he had said, well, yeah, you could buy me a meal. So the four of them went out to eat and had a dinner together and had good conversation. And after the dinner was over, the three gentlemen started visioning what they could create to have uh, offer this opportunity for other folks to eat a meal who were down and out. And that's how the gathering began. They started in St. James Episcopal Church on 9th and Wisconsin, serving Saturday lunches of soup and sandwich and a dessert and coffee. And then... That was 125 people started that first meal, and from there we're up to 85,000 meals a year. So wow. So growing quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So tell us more about, um, you know, so you started there and where you are today. Okay, so we started there at St. James Episcopal. Then we moved to St. Ben's Meal Program on about mm, 12th and State Street, and we left there just this past year, and now we're at the Running Rebels for our main meal program, Monday through Friday. We serve breakfast from 8.30 to 9.30, five days a week, and we serve lunches there from 11.30 to 12.30. We provide probably 100 meals a day to individuals, and we also are at our next generation on 34th and Lisbon on Saturdays. We provide lunches there from 11.30 to 12.30, and we provide food for their after-school program, and then we're at our, not our next generation, I already said that one, we're at Christian Faith Fellowship East on South 27th Street between Pearson National. We're there on Monday, Wednesday evenings for dinner, and we are there on Saturdays for lunches. So we serve dinner from 4.30 to 5.30, and lunches on Saturdays from 11.30 to 12.30. And then on the second and fourth Saturdays of the month, we are at Mount Carmel Lutheran Church on 84th, and center, and we serve lunches there from 11:30 to 12:30. So our program, wow. we're all across town, right? Yeah, you've got things spaced out nicely. So number of different locations that people listening, if they want to participate, they got some choices there. Um, so there are, in all honesty, there are uh, different organizations out uh, in the community that feed the hungry. What is it that makes the gathering unique and, and different? Well, I think there are several things that make us unique. Number one, we prepare all our meals fresh on site. So we have a cook Monday through Friday preparing breakfast for folks, and we have a cook on, on in the evenings for dinner. Everything is cooked fresh on site, like I said, um, with well-rounded meals. Our breakfasts are more than a breakfast. They are oftentimes like a dinner, but we want to make sure people have something to hold, withhold them throughout the whole day. And then we are basically a volunteer-run organization. We have 10 staff and we serve about 85,000 meals a year. So that's kind of an impossible task for 10 people to serve that much food. So we have about 2,000 volunteers that really do the bulk of the work. They do 98% of the work um, as far as feeding the folks. 
And hospitality is another thing that we're very, very proud of. We treat folks as if they're coming to our home to eat. Because a lot of times we're working with marginalized individuals, and they aren't treated with, with as much respect. People don't like to make eye contact with them. So we make sure that we welcome them, we sit down, we serve. They get their first meal through the meal line. And then after that, we serve them at the tables, giving them coffee and juice. Oftentimes we give them bag lunches to go on Saturday, so there's something to hold them over to the next day. And I think that really makes us really unique. And didn't you tell me uh, when we met previously that you guys are booked solid through the end of the year in terms of volunteers and you're you're receiving calls now for 2021 slots? That's exactly right. I mean, people volunteer for us. I've worked in nonprofits in Milwaukee for like 25 years. I've never been at a place who has such a stable force of volunteers, people who've been volunteering for 30 years. There's one couple that started back in 1983, volunteering on Saturdays, and they're still volunteering to this day. One of them is on our board, and the other one is our, one of our coordinators at our Saturday meal programs. On Saturdays, it's really unique because it's 100% run by volunteers. We have a volunteer cook team that comes into each one of the meal sites and cooks the meal. We have a coordinator comes in to transition between our cook team and between our serving team, and then the serving team will come in, and they will serve the folks and clean up. And there's probably 20 volunteers at each meal site every single Saturday. It's just mm, isn't that wonderful? Yeah, it's, it's the most beautiful thing you could ever imagine. People are calling. Like you had said, we have phone calls right now looking for the 2021 schedule because they want to volunteer. Mm, that's an, a unique situation to be in. You know, the uh, uh, a lot of the nonprofits talk about the fact that they couldn't do what they do without the help of volunteers. And if you're in a position where you're booked out with uh, your volunteer base to 2021, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. It really, really is. Um, yeah. You had talked about how important access is. You want to elaborate on that? Almost definitely, because the gathering has been working at addressing the issue of access, um, preparing fresh and nutritious meals for Milwaukee's hungry through multiple neighborhood organizations. And we feel that everybody should have access to a healthy meal, regardless of your income, your race, your housing, you know, your job, your neighborhood, you know, whatever you have going on, you should be able to have access to good, healthy food. And our breakfast program especially, that's the first spot where most people who are sleeping on the streets have their first warm meal. And making sure that there is access is just so, so important. We kind of take it for granted real often, those of us who are, are working, you know, working full or part-time and we have food on our table every single day. You know, hunger doesn't stay at home, right? I mean, people are out there and they're hungry and they should be able to have access. So we make sure that we're open all the time. So we serve mm -hmm. six days a week, 51 days, 51 weeks out of the year. So we're really, really committed to making sure that people have what they need. Mm, that's awesome. Who, who's the target population? Anybody who wants to come and eat can come eat with us. We um, are known for working with Milwaukee's homeless and hungry, but if we ask no questions. And we have full entire rooms full of people, folks eating together, no matter what their age, their race, their, we ask no questions. If you need a hot meal, if you want a hot meal, you come and join us. And you sit down, you eat. Um, a lot of times the neighborhoods determine who's actually there. So like we're at our next generation is folks in that neighborhood, right? And then we're at Mount Carmel. It's mostly senior citizens who live right in that neighborhood. At the south side is people right around the Mitchell Park area who come to eat with us. And our running Rebel site right now, that's mostly, mostly males at that site. Um, probably they're mostly African-American and Caucasian males. We have probably 29% are 60 and over. Um, and just by eyeballing folks, you know, and then just having conversations with folks, we find that several of them, like more than half, have some kind of addiction issues. Um, 
or mental illnesses. So we're working, we're working with folks, whoever, whoever comes to our doors. We do not discriminate mm-hmm. whatsoever. Okay. And so, you know, that might be a question that some people have, you know, is there a charge or there, are there any restrictions to me being able to, uh, to get a meal? And you're saying all the services are provided at no cost. You're saying, um, you know, anybody who shows up, you are there to feed them. Exactly. And we serve some pretty good food, I'll tell you. We have a man who's a sous chef down at the Westin who works for us part-time, who just cooks up a storm. And our cook who's at the Running Rebel, she has been cooking for 30 years at different places. So we have some really nice menus and good food. It keeps you warm in the wintertime and keeps you, you know, sustained throughout the summer. That's wonderful. Do you have families coming in, too? Oh, yeah, we have families, many families, especially at our next generation, because I think the word of mouth, the after-school program that we help, you know, feed, that's all youth programs there, so often families in the neighborhood will come. Sometimes children come up without their parents, and we still do serve them because they do need to eat as well. Um, And we're seeing more and more women and children come into our meal sites. And then do you, um, you know, sometimes what they talk about is a, a problem with kids of school age, that uh, if kids are out of school for whatever reason, they may not get a, a, a healthy meal. So do you send meals home with these families that, that you serve? We do, especially on Saturdays. We have a, a big, meal pro, big lunch meal program where community organizations and churches and just different volunteer groups will prepare bag lunches for us to, to distribute to our families so they can come in, get a, a meal to eat, and then go home with a bag lunch as well to hold them over till the next day. We also have giveaway tables at our meal site, so we have surplus of breads and fruits and vegetables. We put those out so folks can take those with them as well. And nice. at holiday time, we have one family who makes all these awesome treat baskets for everybody, and so we have those little extra surprises, you know, at different times of the year. Um, this family's been doing it for probably 10 years, and they hundreds and hundreds of like treat baskets for Easter or Halloween or Christmas or whatever kind of holiday you can think of. They bring baskets of good stuff for the, mostly for the kids to take home with them. Yeah. Well, that's wonderful. You know, again, serving, serving the need where the need is greatest, right? Um, So your primary service is feeding the hungry, but you also provide other services. So in our next segment, we're going to dive into that a little more deeply. Uh, We'll be back in a moment to explore further. Thanks for tuning in. This is EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Welcome back to Milwaukee's philanthropic community, brought to you by Ellen Becker Investment Group. I'm your host, Jill Economo. I'm Director of Community Outreach, and I'm talking with Lynn Hildenbrand, the Executive Director of The Gathering. So, Lynn, we talked about the many ways that you feed the hungry and that being your primary uh, role, but you also offer other services. Um, What else do you provide at your meal sites? Yeah, so we provide many other services at our meal sites through partnering with other organizations in the city. We provide mental health services every week um, by Homeless Outreach Nursing Center and Community Advocates. Um, we offer a legal assistance at our breakfast program and at our dinner program, and that comes through Legal Aid Society and Legal Action of Wisconsin. There's also housing services that folks come to our breakfast program. Um, Milwaukee County and the Veterans Administration come in, and they have tables set up, and they will talk with folks and help them get hooked up with housing because a lot of the folks that we serve are homeless. Uh, we offer food share assistance through the Hunger Task Force, 
Someone will come in and have a table, help people get hooked up with the, the SNAP program to make sure that they're getting the food that they need when they're not with us. Um, and then we also provide, um, we call them street supply distributions, where we will provide either toiletry bags, we provide clothing. In the wintertime, we have hats and mittens and gloves. Um, we make sure people are getting the things that they need to keep them secure and safe on the streets. And if somebody comes in with a special need, we'll make calls for them. We had a lady come in the other day who had her whole backpack with all her clothes and all her belongings stolen. And so we called the Salvation Army, and the Salvation Army made an exception for us um, as a partner organization. And they had her come over and pick out clothes so that she would have some clothes to wear. And she came in the next day to the meal program, and she was so excited. She had on blue jeans and, you know, a sweatshirt and a hat. And before, she was just wearing her jammies because all of her clothes were stolen. So we try to, you know, use the resources in our community and our community partners to make sure that we're giving people what they need. Because we can't do everything, and really no agency can do everything. And so if we work together as a community to make sure we're providing the services to those folks who need it, Everybody, everybody wins that way. Exactly. And, and again, that's important to talk about. And we do that on almost every show, talking about the collaborative efforts of the nonprofits. And again, as you said, no one nonprofit can, can provide everything um, to the, the community. And so working together with these partners. So you, you provide mental health services. You provide legal assistance. You provide housing services. Uh, food share assistance, street supply distributions. Gosh, you're really you're covering a lot of of areas uh, and needs um, in the community. What about donations? So let's say somebody is listening and they say, I don't know, maybe they can go to Costco or uh, the grocery store and 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 buy some non-perishable goods. Are you accepting donations? We do accept donations on a regular basis. We get the bulk of our food through Feeding American Hunger Task Force, um, and also McDonald's and uh, Starbucks donate all kinds of food to us. So it's really awesome. Oh, wonderful! Supply of food coming in. Yeah, there's you know several McDonald's owned by the same individual who donates stuff every single week to us, and Starbucks all their pastries and things like that, all that fun stuff that you can purchase while you're there. Well, at the end of the day, we get all the stuff that's left over, and so it really makes for nice snacks in people's lunch bags and, and snacks for them to take in their, um, at the end of their meal, right? They have their dessert, so it's kind of cool. But donations, we love to get donations. Bottled water is always something that we always can use. Um, juice boxes are things that we really use a lot. Um, if people are really interested in being part of our program and creating bag lunches for Saturdays. We're always looking for people to get groups together and make 100 bag lunches for us so we can pass those out to folks so they have something to take with them when they leave us. Um, but if you want to make a donation of any other sort, you can always call our office and we can tell you what we need and what we're looking for. Also on our website, there is a wish list of items that we need. So there's lots of opportunities just to kind of look to see what you may find, you know, but we really rely on the generosity of others to make sure that we're meeting the needs of our, our meal guests. Yeah, and I think there's uh, a number of organizations that want to do team uh, projects. Um, you know, I know we do a number of those at Ellen Becker and um, at uh, my Bible study, we bring together uh, donations for the Milwaukee Rescue Mission where they can provide uh, bagged lunches and, and that type of thing. So it's nice to know that there are a number of different ways that people can can uh, donate or provide assistance. What about, um, 
I don't know, maybe gift cards to grocery stores? Do you ever find that you're working with individuals who, um, you know, maybe they're just, they just find themselves in, um, you know, working from paycheck to paycheck and they come up short in terms of uh, allocating dollars for food. Do you ever give out gift cards? Yeah, we actually do. And we also have another program that I didn't mention. Um, we have a scholarship fund and it's set up in honor of the first executive director um, of the gathering. And it's for individuals who are our meal guests who may need to get uh, like a pair of steel toe shoes for a new job, or they may need some something for a class so they can go to the next level in a job. We have a scholarship fund that is available. Our board is very generous with giving the money away with a nice account, and we really want to help our meal guests. So that scholarship fund that we currently have is open to any meal guests if they're like making a job change, if they're finding a job for the first time, they need something to wear to an interview, things like that, we can help them purchase those items. And we do give gift cards away. We do give like the toiletry bags away. And that's another way groups can volunteer and putting toiletry bags together. Those are always really nice to get from other organizations. Um, oh, yeah. Um, you know, folks like doing those kind of things. It's good team building. Yeah, for sure. And again, it's good to know that because you are primarily known as providing food. And so... Right. The, you know, people may not think about those other areas. Maybe you have, I don't know, in excess of, uh, maybe you collect those little soaps that uh, whenever you travel, I know an individual who does that. And then she donates those to various organizations um, that need them. So a number of different ways that people can, can help out. Um, what about what's on the horizon for the gathering? What, what exciting things do you have coming up that you want to talk to uh, talk to us about? Oh, yeah. Something I'm very excited about. We have a program called the Fresh Produce Preservation Program where we, during August and November, we preserve fresh vegetables and fruits from people's gardens, and we preserve those to serve to our meal guests during the winter months so they have some semi-fresh food and that's homegrown kind of a thing to sustain them in the winter months. Well, we went through a program, and we have a new program. We're taking our Fresh Produce Preservation Program to the next level, and we're calling it Yes, We Can Solve Hunger, and we're going to be training folks who are meal guests how to can and preserve food, and we are looking to sell our merchandise in different stores and farmer's markets in Milwaukee. We're trying to get a social enterprise going um, with the help of LISC and the Bader Foundation. We um, have a nice grant that we received to get this started, and we're really excited about it because it's an opportunity to empower folks, to give folks life skills, and plus try to make some money on our own for our organization and getting some good name recognition out there. We've spoken with Outpost and different farmers markets, and people are very interested in our program, so I'm hoping that we can get this kicked off the ground this fall. That sounds exciting. That sounds something yeah, that really could be uh, much needed in the in our community. Most definitely. And um, other things we have going on, every year we have a golf classic, and it's usually held in, in late summer, so we have that coming up. And we're having a new fundraiser that we're going to be holding, our first ever Mardi Gras fundraiser. It'll be a gala um, on Mardi Gras in 2021, so you know, keep your eyes open for that event. We're, we're starting planning that right now. And um, we figured Mardi Gras sounds good because Mardi Gras is you know, your Fat Tuesday, and we, we work with food, and so then... <laughs> it's a perfect match there, right? Uh-huh, that's what we thought. So and make it kind of a fun way to make get people excited about an event, right? We always mm -hmm. look for board members, too. If people are look, looking to get involved in the board, we have a very hands-on, 
hardworking board of directors, and we're recruiting board members, you know, on a yearly basis. We have a governance committee who works with that. You know, of course, all of us organizations, we always can use financial support. Um, that's like a no-brainer. Uh, and volunteer opportunities, like I said, we have so many volunteers and so many volunteer opportunities that um, if you just call the office, we can help you out and get you into doing some volunteer work with us. All right, super. Well, lots of good things to uh, to share. And again, people can check your website for your wish lists and uh, other things that uh, that you might need or ways that that people can uh, help out. Uh, curious though, how how are you guys faring through this COVID pandemic? Are things changing for you given the current situation? Yes, ma'am. We've totally changed our programming during the COVID um, pandemic. We started. We served our last hot meal on March 13th, and we've been serving bag lunches, hearty bag lunches, at all of our meal sites ever since. Um, so Monday, May 6th, May 6th, I apologize. Monday, March 16th, we started serving our first bag lunches, and we've been tweaking our process and making sure that we're keeping the social distancing and that we are. Um, everyone's wearing masks and gloves. But our bag lunches are very, very hearty, but we're always looking for um, more supplies for our bag lunches because we're used to having, you know, sit-down meals with full meal service, and now we're giving people bag lunches to go. It's kind of taken away from some of the, the charm of the organization and the hospitality because you really can't spend time talking with folks because it's a grab-and-go pro- process. And so the sense of community that's at the, at the meal sites is missing now. Um, yeah, to be but again, cheerful. you're... Yeah, you're providing a need uh, during the crisis, and that's that's what's important. So we want to make sure people are aware that that is still available. So uh, I want to thank you, Lynn, for taking the time to talk with us today and sharing all the wonderful things that the gathering is doing and working with Running Rebels, partnering with them, um, and all the other sites that you are offering your services. So thank you for being here today and, and sharing your information. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate the time. You're welcome. I also want to thank our guests today, Dawn and Victor Barnett, founders of The Running Rebels. Thank you all for sharing your passion with us and and all that you do. If you'd like further information about what we talked about today or you'd like to be considered as a guest on the show, you can email me at jill at ellenbecker.com or you can call our office at 262-691-3200. Join us next Sunday morning at 10 a.m. to learn more about some great people, great nonprofits that are doing great things in our community. You can tune in on 1130 a.m. dial, or you can go to News Talk 1130 on your computer or your tablet. You can listen on your cell phones also via the iHeartRadio app. You can go to our website at ellenbecker.com radio to listen to previously aired shows. And you can also now listen on demand at Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or Apple Podcasts. Hope you found the information we shared today helpful as far as how you can use your passion and your purpose to make a difference in someone's life in some way. Find a way to be a blessing and give a blessing. Have a wonderful Sunday.